I follow a guy on several different social media platforms named Chad Sexton. Chad calls himself the expert marriage tip guy. And a lot of his videos, I mean, they are just funny and they are meant to be funny. He is a believer, so is his wife, and they lift the Lord high, but they also share some very funny clips about marriage. There are times late at night where Tina will just hear me laughing across the room, and she knows I'm watching Chad's videos. Let me show you a couple of them. Here you go. Expert marriage tips from Housekeeping Mockley, May 1955, part two. Be happy to see him when he returns. Make the evening his. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner. Our other places of entertainment without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his very real need to be home and relax. Also, don't greet him with complaints or problems. Arrange his pillows and offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soothing voice. And finally, your goal as a wife is try to make sure your home is a place of peace, order, and tranquility where your husband can renew himself in body and spirit. Like and follow for more 1955 expert marriage tips. Crazy. When I asked the Lord for a wife, I asked him to give me one that would submit to her husband. He gave me one. She submits Coe's receipts, Target's receipts, Amazon receipts. She submits complaints also. So guys, when you pray to the Lord, be sure to be specific in your prayer. There's another one too. <laughs> now that's Chad. I don't know Chad's wife's name, but she doesn't take it laying down. Take a look at this. Expert wife tip. One way to stop an argument right in its tracks is to simply shush your husband as he's babbling on and on about nothing. This will usually do the trick. But if it doesn't, then I have a for sure way of ending the You're argument. You're the one that starts all the arguments. I didn't even start it. You all. I think it worked. Expert wife tip. If your husband ever makes you mad or just gets on your nerves, pour some water on the floor in front of the washing machine. This will keep him busy for hours as he's trying to figure out how to repair it. Like and follow for more wife tips. It took me three hours the other night to fix that. Kept you busy. Expert marriage tips. There you go. Well, like I said, those are designed to be funny, and they, they really are. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes marriage is hard. It really is. We can laugh about things like this, but sometimes marriage is hard. If you were with us last week, I, I shared a quote that I've received a lot of different comments on over the course of the past five, six, seven days. Let me share it with you again. Take a look at this. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your heart. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your heart. Life will never be easy. It will always be hard. But we can choose our heart. Pick wisely. Now, there is some great depth of teaching in that, but when we lay it over Scripture, we find some things that God would want us to uncover and discover about a lot of different aspects of life. Today, I want us to lay this over the idea of marriage, and again, look at how it starts. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. 
I want us to lay that over Scripture and see some things that God would want us to see. Understanding that marriage is hard. Also understanding that divorce is hard and we have a choice to make. Which one of those do we want? It is my hope, it is God's hope that you would choose the hard of marriage. There's a lot of folks that get to a place where they're ready to just throw in the towel But if both parties are willing to dive into God's word and dive into the relationship, great healing and restoration can take place. There are times that that is impossible, but those are few. And so if we're willing to dive into God's word and allow his spirit to lead us, he'll take us through some hard things to get us to a place where we can live the way the Lord wants us to live. So let's just get into looking at what God's Word has to say about this issue, starting with why God created marriage. If you have a Bible with you, join me in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Here's the why of marriage. Now you have to understand as we get into this that marriage or the marital relationship is the first act of creation after creation. The family is the first thing that God created, starting with husband and wife or marriage, first thing that God created after he created the heavens and the earth and everything around us. It is very important to the Lord. Take a look at why. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Skip over to verse 24 with me. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's the reason that God created marriage. He looked at Adam surrounded by all of the animal kingdom and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper fit for him. Or some Bibles say, translations say, I will make a helper suitable for him. That's the why of marriage. God didn't want us to be alone, so he created this wonderful relationship. Do you know how valuable it is to God? Well, Scripture actually tells us. If you want to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, you'll see it for yourself. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. Isaiah 62, verse 5. I'll give you just a second to get there. This is great teaching from the old prophet. Helps us understand why God values this relationship so much. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's how God sees us. He sees us through the lens of the marital relationship. The church itself is known as the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. God uses the marriage relationship to illustrate the relationship that he has with all of his people. And it is a rejoicing relationship. God loves marriage And he loves everything that it illustrates. Now when we understand why God created marriage and we understand how he sees marriage, then we can get into some deeper things in scripture like what marriage can accomplish within the hearts and the lives of those that truly experience it. 
Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 5. This is one of the most popular and I might argue powerful passages on the nuts and bolts of marriage that we can find anywhere in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. This is a passage worth highlighting. If you are married or thinking about getting married, highlight this passage so that you can go back to it on a regular basis. And what I'm going to show you this morning is really quite miraculous. Here we go. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, like I said, there's nuts and bolts within that passage that can help us make marriage what God intended it to be. One of my favorite parts about it is the mysterious way that God speaks of marriage. I love that the Apostle Paul would say, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. But he quickly, within the same train of thought, says, but I'm also talking about how a man loves his wife. I'm talking about this marital relationship. There is a mystery that surrounds it. And part of that mystery is evident when we lift verse 27 right off the page. Here, we're going to do it. It'll be up on the screen. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, within the midst of this teaching, there is an application for husbands and wives, starting with the husbands. Husbands are to love their wives in such a way that he will be able to present her before the Lord without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish. Now, that's a deep love, a love that allows you to say to the Lord, I loved my wife so deeply that I can bring her back before you without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish. Now, ladies, you're not off the hook because we can easily make the same application. Wives are to love their husbands in such a way that you will be able to present him before the Lord without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish. I've taught this before and have done it in some classes, so some of you have heard me say this, but it is my belief, this is just Phil's belief, that stains represent the things of our past that we bring into the relationship. Wrinkles represent the mistakes that we make within the relationship, within marriage. And blemishes represent the things that happen from the outside, 
things that other people might do to us, might be from work relationships, family relationships, friendships, whatever the case might be. We end up with some blemishes, some hurts, some challenges that are given to us, even by life itself. Well, Paul is saying that within the marriage relationship, we have the ability to make the stains go away, the wrinkles smooth out, even the mistakes that are made within the relationship, and the blemishes disappear. These things that happen from outside the marriage. If we are willing to love each other in a a deep, godly way, those three things can be taken care of. Now listen, best I can tell, there is no other earthly relationship that can accomplish that. Certainly, all things are possible with God, and our relationship with Him can deal with all three of those things. There's no question about that. But in the realm of earthly relationships, there are no others that have that ability to make stains, wrinkles, and blemishes disappear. That's the power of marriage. When we understand why God created it and we understand how much he values it, then we can get into the what of what it can accomplish. That's the power of marriage. But my friends, it can be tough. It can be hard. And we have to choose our heart. We have to decide to invest within the relationship the way we must if we want to mine that type of depth out of it. And one of the ways as Christians that we can accomplish that as believers in Jesus is by looking at marriage the way Jesus looks at marriage. You might think, I'm not exactly positive what that is. Well, I'm glad you're wondering about it because the Bible will show us. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19 Now, you need to understand that the Pharisees are trying to trap the Lord. They're trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus handles it, like he always did, beautifully. And he handles it by exploding their trap and then doing some remarkable teaching. Take a look at this. Matthew 19, verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him. Here's the trap. Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now we would do well, as would the Pharisees, to just get out of the trap, stop worrying about the trap, and look at the teaching. So this morning, I want us to do that. I want us to just sidestep the trap 
and look at the depth of teaching that Jesus gives here. And to do that, we have to pull out the center part of the passage that we were just reading. Here it is. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's how Jesus sees marriage. It is easily summed up with the word oneness. Jesus sees the marital relationship as oneness. A man and a woman become one. I love the way a, a married couple says this. Their last name is Bennett. I believe his is, yeah, Bradley and Amanda. They say, one of the greatest joys of marriage is the feeling of complete intimacy, being fully known and yet being fully loved for who you are. That's oneness. Being fully known and fully loved. I often teach that there are five levels of intimacy in any marriage. There's the emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual, the physical, and the financial. Five levels of intimacy. The emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual, the physical, and the financial. When those are connected, all five of those are connected, you have oneness. You have real intimacy. You know what it means to be fully known and fully loved by another person. Emotional, intellectual, spiritual, physical, financial. And when those start to separate, and it might just be one or maybe two, when those start to separate, oneness begins to separate. And that is, that's a warning sign that every married couple needs to be paying attention to. When we start to separate on one of these levels of intimacy, we need to be very, very careful. Because when one separates, the second one is close behind it. And the third one is close behind that one. And before long, oneness has disintegrated and we're no longer one. And that's where the tragedy sets in. That's where some of the most difficult aspects of marriage come into play. When those separations begin to happen and oneness begins to disintegrate. And those are those moments where we have to choose hard. We have to choose our heart. Do we want to reconnect them and do the work to do it? Or do we just want to let it go? Do we just want to surrender? And sometimes it's outside of our control because you may want to work hard and, and reconnect them, but your spouse doesn't. And so there are some natural rubs within that. But when we have a, a couple that comes together in Christ and says we are bound together by him, then oneness stays bound together. I like the way C.S. Lewis captures this because he helps us understand how hard it can be. Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Now, I want you to listen to that again. Young people, I really want you to dial in on this. If you're not married, if you've never thought of being married, but you wonder what it really means to be in love, Lewis has a good description of it. Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. I want the best for you always. I want the best for you 
always. I knew when I was 19 years old and saw Tina for the first time and we went out on our first date that I wanted things for her that I had never wanted for anybody else. And that has remained for 34 years. It's a cool thing when that happens, when that takes root in your life. But we would tell you, and so would anybody else that's been married for very long at all, it takes work to hold on to that. It takes work to make sure that oneness stays bound together. And sometimes, sometimes, we have to choose our heart to make sure that that'll happen. I became a marriage counselor for the very first time at the ripe old age of 20. I was 20 years old. I'd been married for about three weeks when it happened, so I had extensive marital experience to sit with these folks. I'm 54 now, so that means that I have been walking through the mud of marriage with people for 34 years. And one of the things that I have learned is that the majority of problems within the marital relationship are communication-based. Now, there are other problems. There's no question about that. Sometimes there are choices that are made that don't have anything to do with communication. They have to do with selfishness, and they cause marriages to struggle and sometimes to explode. And I don't want to diminish that at all. But I'm just saying the majority of problems begin and even grow based on communication issues or the lack of communication or sometimes the brokenness within communication. Sometimes we forget that we want the best for this other person and our words reflect that. If you remember that quote from the beginning, marriage is hard, divorce is hard, choose your heart. Well, the author of that, and we don't know who that person is, that author goes on to say, communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your heart. And when it comes to the marital relationship, sometimes, most times, oftentimes, the hard that we need to choose is communication. We need to choose to talk to one another, and we need to choose to talk to one another in love. And that is of the utmost importance, that we talk to one another in love. Learning how to guard our tongues because our tongues and communication can set things on fire or they can, they can destroy things. Either way, it's our choice and we have to decide what to do with it. So I want to show you some scripture today that help us understand the power of communication and how in Christ we can shift it that we might experience the oneness that Jesus would desire for us within marriage. Let's start just by looking at the power of our words. This is found in the book of Proverbs. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Man, is that ever the truth. That's the power of words. Now, what you may not realize is that more you grow in Christ, the more your communication needs to reflect that growth. Take a look at this. This is in Ephesians. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The more you grow in Christ, 
the more your communication, your words, how you talk, in particular to those that you love, should reflect that growth. So it's an ongoing process always. The power of our words, well, the the book of James captures it. You have to realize that you can tear down or build up with them. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So it's a choice. It is a choice. Will I use my words and my communication and the things that I talk to my spouse about to build up the marriage? Or will I use those things to tear it down? Communicating is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your hard. Tearing up or tearing down is hard. Building up is hard. Choose your hard. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? If you choose the path to build up the marriage and to grow closer in Christ, then one of the things that you have to do is learn to choose communication, words that will glorify God first and build up whoever it is that you're talking to second. Again, from the book of Ephesians. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I want you to pay careful, careful attention to one word here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's a verb. That's an action word. Let no corrupting talk which means we have the ability to apply this passage of Scripture to about any relationship that we have. The living and active nature of the Word of God says that we can take this passage and apply it in a lot of different applications simply by focusing on the word corrupting. How does my speech, how do my words corrupt certain relationships? As a parent, how can my speech corrupt things within my child's life? Their self-esteem, their sense of worth, their value, their accomplishments. I can either build them up or I can tear them down. And right here, Paul's saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't corrupt those things. At work, we can apply the same thing. What is corrupting talk? Well, whatever your application of that happens to be, there is a different definition. Within marriage, we apply the same passage. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I don't want to corrupt my marriage by my words. So I'm going to guard them. I'm going to guard them. And I'm going to make sure that instead of corrupting, I speak to my wife in a way that extends grace and builds up. Now, you might still be wondering, how do we pull that off? Well, I want to give you what I would refer to as a wisdom dump from the book of Proverbs. This is just a wisdom dump. All of this comes from the book of Proverbs, 10 passages of Scripture. There are others. I just pulled out these 10 that help us shape our conversation, that help us guard our tongue. Take a look at what Solomon says. Proverbs 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Application, there are two sides to communication, talking and listening. Learn both. Learn both. 
And oftentimes, fellas, we tend to be the, the biggest offenders in this. We are thinking ahead of the conversation, ready to provide our opinion or our solution before we have actually listened all the way through to our wives. So learn how to push the brakes and listen. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You can light the fire of a fight pretty quickly with just your words. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Watch what you talk about. Proverbs 7, go back. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And two more. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You really want to learn to communicate? That's a key. Proverbs 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. I like that last one a lot. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. You can't put it back in. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now, obviously, in the English Standard Version, they use the term quarrel. We can easily replace it with the word argument. So stop before the argument breaks out. That's a word a little more familiar to us. Do you know what argument means? Here's a good definition. Argument, an exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. That's the definition. You know, a lot of marriages are riddled with arguing. They are riddled with arguing. And here we have Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. By the way, he was married to a thousand women. <clears throat> so he says, why don't you stop before that ever breaks out? Why don't you just stop before it even happens? There's other places in Scripture that help us understand that. Like the book of Philippians. I'm going to read this to you from the New International Version. Philippians Chapter 2, verse 14. I really like the way the NIV reads, so listen close. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Do everything without complaining or arguing, Paul says. The Bible says, do everything without complaining or arguing. What would happen if we learned to apply that to marriage? Man, alive, we could change the course of so many relationships simply by stopping the discussion before the quarrel starts, before the argument breaks out. We could protect oneness. We could hold on to why God created marriage in the first place and we could lift it high as God lifts it high and we could accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in the relationship so that it becomes a safe place where stains, wrinkles, and blemishes 
disappear simply by stopping the discussion before an argument breaks out. Because truthfully, arguments are pointless. They are pointless. I found this this last week as I was studying. I really like the way it, it breaks this down to help us understand the difference between a discussion and an argument. And there's a big difference. Let me show you a few. In a discussion, people take turns really listening to each other. In an argument, everyone's talking and nobody's listening. A discussion involves two people coming against a problem. An argument is two people against each other. A discussion is about the situation at hand. An argument is seldom actually about the thing being argued over. Anybody know what they mean by that? A discussion is about an important issue. An argument is seldom about anything except who's right and who's wrong. A discussion, there are millions of good reasons to have one. An argument, there is no good reason to have one. A discussion can solve a problem. An argument never really solves anything. A discussion ends when people agree on a solution. An argument doesn't end. It just waits to be brought up in the next argument. In a discussion, the people who solve the problem win. And in an argument, nobody wins. So choose to talk with one another. Have a discussion with each other. Solve problems together in such a way that you guard oneness. You protect it. You solve problems together. And by doing that, you begin to experience a relationship that God designed. And you might say, man, that sounds hard. And we've tried. So how? How, if we've tried and we have failed, do we pull it off? Well, remember, Solomon said, lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. You trust God. And sometimes the best thing you can do when it comes to communicating within marriage is to ask God to guide your words before you ever open your mouth. And in a discussion, there's power in doing that as husband and wife together, trusting that God will be with you. And Isaiah makes this promise, chapter 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You trust God. You trust God. And you lean into His understanding. And then choose your heart. And it is my hope, it is my prayer, that in marriage, the heart that you will choose is oneness. It's discovering what God intended marriage to be. It is my hope and my prayer that you will chase that with everything that you have for all the years that you have together. If you're in the midst of a, a struggle with that right now, or maybe you have other people in your life that are struggling with that right now, and you know that arguing seems to be governing everything that's happening within the relationship, 
want to encourage you to push pause this morning and seek some wisdom from God. Maybe just seek some peace from God by responding to our invitation and going over here to the, the prayer room. After the service is over, that invitation's just open. Go over to the prayer room. Pray by yourself or pray with somebody and make some decisions for changes that need to happen. But I encourage you to do it sooner rather than later because every day that goes by is like letting out more water. You can't put it back in. So let today begin the process of changing things. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, we looked at some hard things today in Scripture, but we looked at some wonderful things as well. This gift of marriage that you have given to us, it's unequaled, Lord. On this earth, it is unequaled. Thank you for it. I pray that you will help us understand that and hold on to it. Lord, over these next few moments, I want to pray specifically for those that are struggling. Would you urge them and encourage them to be bold enough to start today in making some changes? If conversations are necessary, I pray they happen today on your day. And I pray that there'll be discussions. And I pray that those discussions will stop before the quarrel breaks out so that there can be healing. Pray, Lord, that you will meet everyone where they're at those that choose to take a step towards you, I'm asking, Father, that they experience the blessing of that decision. And I'm asking it in Jesus' name with great faith. Amen.